Good morning, church. It is very good to be with you. I, uh, I missed being with you last week. I think most of you know I was in Kansas City for a, a doctoral seminar, and I uh, was able to tune in on the, on the radio broadcast, and so I was, I was with you, but not with you. Um, I felt like I know many of you, and we have many individuals who listen each week, and so it, uh, it gave me that perspective, but I'm glad to be here with you and, and glad to see all of you today and really excited to be able to worship with you and to talk specifically about the Lord's Supper today. If you would, take your copy of Scripture uh, and find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about baptism and we were able to actually... Uh, demonstrate that which we were learning as we had a baptism. This week we get to do the same thing. We're going to talk about the Lord's Supper and at the conclusion of our, of our message, we will be invited to take the Lord's Supper together. And so, uh, wonderful. It's amazing. I came back this week from, uh, from a, a seminar on education, educational practice and theory. One of the things that they, they talk about a lot in education is engaging the senses engaging different things than just the ears to be able to learn. How amazing is it that the Lord gave us two things about the gospel that engage all of our senses? You know, they, we're tasting, we're touching, we're feeling, we're participating. Uh, it's amazing if you think about it. And that's what we are going to do today. So if you have uh, your copy of God's Word... I want you to look in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read a larger passage here about the Lord's Supper, particularly the practice of the Lord's Supper at the church at Corinth that that Paul writes about here. So if you look and begin in verse 17, uh, just follow along and I will read through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, After supper, saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of of guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so that <clears throat> so eat the bread so and so eat the bread and drink the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment unto himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If one is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your salvation, for it is the salvation that you have provided for us that is the meaning and the focus of this practice that we call the Lord's Supper. Lord, we are not deserving, and yet you have called us into your salvation. You have dispensed your grace freely amongst us, and you offer us to come and to be in Christ, to dine with you, to benefit from your work on our behalf, that we would benefit in salvation that was so costly to you. Father, I pray that as we engage your word, as we consider the Lord's Supper, its meaning, its practice, Father, I pray that you would, through the work of your Spirit, teach us this morning. Father, may we we be uh, shown any misconceptions that we may have. May you help us to see and understand the true beauty involved and rid us of perhaps traditions or baggage that takes away from that which you have commanded us to do. Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for the testimony that we can proclaim what you have done for us through the Lord's Supper, through taking the bread and taking the cup. Be with us now, Lord. Teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to think for a moment, not too long, but what is the best meal you've ever had? What's the, the best meal you've ever had? Not just the food, but the, but, but the ambiance. What do you remember as being a wonderful meal? Meals are powerful, aren't they? They're very powerful in how they speak to us. They're very powerful in how they they cause us to remember. They're occasions for celebration. So what is it, if you thought about it, what is the the best meal you've ever had? Well, I'm going to assume that in in, in thinking about what the best meal you've ever had, there's a few things beyond just the taste of the food. In fact, maybe the taste of the food wasn't even the best part of it. One of the things is it's got to be the right environment. Okay, the best meal you've ever had was probably not served in front of a place that had a clown in front of it, right? Maybe the environment is your mother's home or your grandmother's home or your home or maybe a, a nice restaurant. Okay, so, so the environment is important. Another thing that probably I would, I would go out on a limb and say is that your best meal was not one that you ate alone. It's the company. It's our friends. Meals are an amazing time that we get together, that we, uh, that we 
we, we bring together loved ones. We bring together family. They're also a, a, a great time that we can bring together and make new friends. That we can invite strangers, people that we maybe just barely know, and invite them into our home. And there's something powerful and important that happens over a meal. And I, I told you this, the first sermon that I preached here, if you go back and you look at Acts 2 in the early church, it says one of the things that they were devoted to was the breaking of bread in each other's homes. You want to do a ministry? You want to do a great ministry for our church and for your, yourself and see yourself grow? Invite people that you don't really know to come to your home and have a meal. And God will, you'll find that God will often knit you together in a way that doesn't happen otherwise. So we have the right environment, the right company usually surrounds this best meal that we've ever had. <clears throat> and the third thing is probably this meal that's in your mind is built around an occasion. There's a purpose. Uh, this past week, we went to Applebee's with my grandfather. It was not the best environment. <laughs> it was not the best food. But it was a special meal because my grandfather only has so many more meals that we get to go and, and all come together and eat with him. I remember the meal when uh, about 15 years ago from right now when I took Krista's father to lunch and asked if I could marry Krista. And his answer was, yes, please. <laughs> but the meal that you have in mind, it probably has a purpose also around it, doesn't it? What we're going to see is the command to take the Lord's Supper together also involves all of these things. It is something special. It is something wonderful that we do when we come together as a church and we take the Lord's Supper Yes, we're to be obedient. Yes, Jesus commands that we do this. But what I want you to see is I want you to, to, to see this as a special time because of what Scripture says, because of what we believe and what is happening as we take the Lord's Supper together. And let me say on the outset exactly the same thing that I said when we talked about baptism. I, I literally cut and paste this section of notes. When we talk about the Lord's Supper... I am not talking about a ritual. I am not talking about merely a religious tradition. What we're talking about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A body that's broken in our place. Blood that is poured out as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice in our place. What we're doing when we properly take and proclaim the Lord's Supper is we are proclaiming the gospel. I think I said this when I spoke on baptism. I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus commands the church to continue in these things. Because if the Lord's Supper is properly being taken and the instructions are properly being given, the gospel is being proclaimed. If baptism is properly being administered and we're proclaiming people are going from death to life in Christ. The gospel is being proclaimed. It is important. It is vitally important. The Lord's Supper has caused many controversies over the years. This church has gone through some of that in the last few years. You read through history and you'll find all kinds of things that have happened. Many of which are because what started as biblical principles... The instructions for the Lord's Supper became traditions, 
things got morphed into it, meanings got added that aren't there, and then you wind up with something that becomes something that it never was intended to be. Are you, are you with me? And so I want to point us back to Scripture. I want to say we want to practice the Lord's Supper, but we want to do it the way the Scripture says. We want to have the meanings that the Scriptures say. We want our minds and our hearts to be guided the way that Scripture says to be guided during the Lord's Supper. This is about the Gospel. It's not about pageantry. It's not about beauty. I mean, we're talking about a man on a cross, broken and bleeding. It is gritty, isn't it? That's what the Lord's Supper is. And so I want to talk about this. I'm, I'm going to make six brief points. I promise you they'll be brief. We're going to move through this. But I want to talk about, I want to talk about uh, what, what the purpose is and how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What the purpose is and how we celebrate. So let's start with this. What's the origin of the Lord's Supper? Where did it come from? This is basic. I know most of you know it. Some people it might be new. <clears throat> we get the Lord's Supper from... Uh, the three synoptic gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, gathers together his disciples in the, in the room, and he, and he instructs them to take the Lord's Supper. He takes bread and says, this is my body. It hasn't happened yet, but it's about to happen. And he breaks and he says, it is broken for you. Take and eat. Be, partake in this. This, this cup is my blood that establishes the new covenant. And oh, there's a lot there to get into. It establishes the new covenant. Take and drink. And so the disciples did this that night. And Jesus, as he gives them the disciples, he says, continue to do this. As often as you meet together, do this. And we know from the early church that they did. In Acts 2, there's an indication that they were taking, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. And, and, and you know, I think, I've told you, I think that means, yes, in homes we see that they're meeting together, but they were also dedicated to taking the Lord's Supper together. By 1 Corinthians, what we read here, Paul talks about this, this act that's called the Lord's Supper. Did you see that? Paul says, when you come together and you take the Lord's Supper, it, it's what it's been called, is the Lord's Supper. We know that from early church, outside of the scriptural account, uh, many of the, of, the, of the Romans, of the atheists, uh, they wrote about this weird group of people that would get together and eat their Savior's body. If you didn't know what was going on, but you overheard, we're going to drink his blood and we're going to eat his body, right? The early Christians were called cannibals. Because they just didn't understand what was going on, what was happening as they celebrated the Lord's Supper. So we see here, Paul writes in verses 23 and 24, I received from the Lord. <clears throat> you remember, Paul wasn't there that night. Paul came later, but we have testimony from other accounts in the Scripture that Jesus himself revealed himself specifically to Paul and instructed him in things. So we can assume that Jesus has specifically instructed Paul about the events that happened that night at the Lord's Supper. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the bread represents the body. The bread represents the body. This, this really happened. 
The cup represents the blood. This, is a, this, is, this points back to a, an event that Jesus gave us that established and the church has been faithful. Listen, it's important here. What we do when we come and we proclaim and we take the bread and we take the cup, this isn't some obscure thing that we've just made up. This isn't some way that we've said, well, this is how we'll worship. This is directly given from the Lord. The church has practiced it. When we do this, we stand on the shoulders of Christians who have followed Jesus for thousands of years, taking and proclaiming and awaiting for the Lord to come again. It is a historic event that ties the church together. That's why many churches will come together for what? Joint communion services. Because it is something that even though we do it as an individual church, the universal church practices this as well. Second thing that we want to look at, who takes the Lord's Supper? Who are the participants? Who is it that should take the Lord's Supper? Do we just go down the street and hand it out? Okay. Have we thought about this? The Lord's Supper is an act of the gathered family of those who believe in Jesus. It is, it is a church ordinance. It is something we do gathered together. And I'm going to show you this. It's, it's, it's really interesting if you've never thought about it. It's, first of all, it's not an act for unbelievers. What we're saying when we do this is that we're saying that I believe, I'm partaking, I believe that, that this blood was spilt in my place. I believe that this bread was broken for my place, for my forgiveness, for my salvation. And so that's why we encourage and we say this is not for unbelievers. If you take the Lord's Supper, you are, you are physically showing, just like baptism we said, is not for those who do not believe in Christ. They cannot picture the death, burial, and resurrection with Christ because they have not yet identified with Him. So the Lord's Supper is the same. Parents, if your child is not a believer, it's best to take and, and pass the elements by them. Don't just let anyone take it. We're not going to fence it. And you know the deacons aren't going to stand and tell who can and who can't. We'll let you assume that and judge that, but it's important. You know, just like baptism, uh, my kids went home and, and asked me about baptism after we had baptism the other day. Same thing will happen the more and when we proclaim the Lord's Supper with everyone around. As children see it, they go home and they ask, what? Why couldn't I have that? And right there's the opportunity to share the gospel, because the gospel is built into what we're doing. So the, 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 who participates? Believers participate. Also, we need, to, we need to understand that the Lord's Supper, the practice of the Lord's Supper, is something that is given to the church as it is gathered together. Now, there are rare occasions, perhaps um, someone's in a nursing home and would ask the pastor if he would come and give the Lord's Supper. Yeah, there's, there's rare occasions like that, that that I think that we can be flexible. But the point is, is that when we look at the text, we see <clears throat> in this text that over and over again, Paul talks about coming together. Look at this, verse 17. When you come together, it is not for the better or worse. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church. Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. Verse 33, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Verse 34, if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together. This is something that, that there's been a lot of weird things that have happened with the Lord's Supper that you hear some churches do and some people do. And 
I, I don't want to be judgmental about that, but, but the point is, is that this should primarily be an act of when we come together, the gathered family of Christ. Remember we talked about that special meal and the important people that are there? This is important. What we're doing when we proclaim the Lord's death together and our faith in it is we as a church are taking, this is a family meal. This is a family meal when you come together. So, <clears throat> so we've looked at uh, the origin. We've looked at who should participate. What's the physical action? What's actually happening? It's, it's not a seven-course meal. In fact, it seems as though in 1 Corinthians something was happening where they had substitute, substituted the simplicity of what the original Lord's Supper was with just bread and a cup, and they were coming, and, and they were, I don't know, they were, they were doing their own potluck, but they weren't sharing their potluck. I, I, I really, I read this text and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what were they thinking? Like what was going on here? Um, but something was happening where they were just eating together. And Paul writes, and he's not happy. He says, this isn't the Lord's Supper that you're doing. You have turned this into something else. Even early on, there was this, there was this drive to, to try to make it something that it was not intended to be. And so it's a very simple thing. It's a very simple meal. What we're, <clears throat> what we're given in the instructions is that there is bread. Listen, I have, I have sat in deacons meetings where it got heated over the type of bread that you use. The Bible doesn't make that kind of assertion. It doesn't say that you have to use unleavened. It doesn't say that you have to... I mean, it, it just doesn't. We're reading into it things that are not there. The point is, is that it's bread. It's not fish. It represents the right thing. And so I think there's freedom there. Okay? Some, some people like have... the. I think they pick the worst bread possible to make you cry during the Lord's Supper. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, have you ever had that bread? <laughs> I hope we don't. I don't know what we're serving. So, um, but the idea is is that it, it should not take away from what's happening. It should it should fit what is going on. That this is a representation of Christ's body being broken. The same thing is with the cup. It is called in the New Testament the fruit of the vine. Some churches, some denominations use a wine for it. Some use Welch's. It doesn't say either way. Um, you want to have some real fun, look at the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message from the Southern Baptist Convention. And it says, Ray knows where I'm going. It says, wine. <gasps> yeah, the 1925 Baptist Faith and Message specified that Southern Baptist churches used wine. It doesn't matter. It, I mean, it, it really doesn't. The point is, is it's not about drunkenness, even if it was wine. The point is, is you're representing what? The blood of Christ. And so we want to pick something and do something. You know, do you, do you put it in little cups? Do you take a big cup? Do you dip it? Do you, you know, what, what do you do? Um, some denominations use a common cup. Jesus used a common cup. There's nothing like watching germaphobes approaching a common cup, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they just look at it. So, 
it's right and good the way we pass it out in small cups for to be able to make sure that everybody gets access to it. Some churches have you come forward. Some have it in the back. Some, I, it really, these are the points. This is what I want to get you to understand is we get hung up about things that don't matter. It doesn't matter. Now we can say for efficiency's sake, can we serve it like this? And I think that's a great idea. But when we start to say, oh my, they did it that way. And we spiritually get hung up, we have missed the point. And I, I'm making this point because it happens every time I've administered it, it seems like. Somebody comes up and says, oh, you did it wrong. Well, what do you mean I did it wrong? You didn't fold the cloth right that's on top of the, the, the stuff. Okay, <clears throat> this, is, this is groundbreaking for some of you. The, the cloth that's on top of the Lord's Supper right now, um, it's not Jesus' burial shroud, okay? If it touches the ground, we're not obligated to burn it. It's just a cloth. But again, some people read in meaning in things that's not there. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're taking away, we're taking away from the importance of what is there. The body that was broken for us on the cross. The blood. The blood of Christ, God in flesh, that was poured out. You ever heard the phrase, I love you from the bottom of my heart? When Jesus hung on the cross to make sure they were dead, what did they do? Make sure he was dead, what did they do? They poked him up through the bottom of his heart. Jesus loved us from the bottom of his heart. Friends, don't get caught up whether we... Whether we dip it, whether, you know, whether someone dips it or they pass it out or you, common cup now, I can understand that. But (laughs) the point is, make the, the right thing the meaning. Make the right thing the meaning. What we should be worried about is playful substitutes, bagels and Coke around a campfire. Okay, that's not the Lord's Supper. That, that we can say, wait, there's something wrong. So let's think about it correctly and biblically. Now, there's more that's happening as we take the Lord's Supper than just the action of taking it. Mentally, something is happening. Jesus says to do this what? In remembrance of me. So there is an active engagement of our mind as we're taking the Lord's Supper. The instructions here are that as we take the bread, as we take the cup, that we are to think about the symbolism. We are to think about what is happening, what historically is happening, what the meaning is of the thing that we are doing. It's not passive. It's not shut down. It's not think about, man, what is lunch going to be this afternoon? It is a time of reflection and of seriousness, we'll see. There's a, there's a mental action involved that we are remembering We're not imagining, we're not dreaming, we're not channeling, we're not emptying. We are remembering, we are thinking about the historical Jesus that was on the cross in my place. That's what's supposed to be happening in our minds. But there's also something spiritually, there's, a, there's an action that's happening. And hear me out on this because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere with a passage that has been a passage that has been all over the place through church history. 
But I, I want us to think about it, and I want us to consider that, you know, everything that I've said so far about what's going on, an unbeliever could do. You know, take, eat, to eat, drink, remember. There's nothing spiritually involved at that point, is there? But the, the, there is also a spiritual component here that's going on as we take the Lord's Supper. And if you would, turn, to, turn back to 1 Corinthians 10. And we're going to get verses 16 to 18. And this is where, this is where I want you to, to, to think about this and, and to look about it, this. And as I read this, ask yourself, what does this mean? What does participation mean? What does participation mean? It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar as well? And so here we see there's something different. There, there, there's, there's, something, there's something more. There's something spiritual that's happening here. Now, it doesn't say that the bread is turning into the body of Christ. It doesn't say that the, that the, the cup is actually turning into the blood of Christ. We don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. But what I do want to say is that there is a spiritual participation that as we take this, if we are truly taking the Lord's Supper, we are participating, we are spiritually in faith saying, this is what saved me. Not that the elements saved me, but the the representation of what's going on. Are you with me? Is everybody still with me? Nobody's picking up stones. Okay? I just want you to understand that there is... And the reason why we need to make this clear is because we're going to see there's a very serious warning about doing this flippantly. And so the question is, why would God be so serious about this? It says that people are dying in discipline from the Lord because of the way they're approaching the Lord's Supper. So God takes this very serious. Jesus, this is very serious. Well, Why? Not just because it's a representation, not just because it's an image. Those things are true, but because it is a spiritual action that we are doing as we take it. It's interesting. It ends here and it says, as Israel partook in the sacrifices. Now, you might not know this. In some of the sacrifices that Israel would bring, they were whole burnt offerings. Okay, They would throw the animal on. They would stoke the fire and would consume all of it. But most of the sacrifices that Israel would bring were not whole burnt offerings. Part of the animal would be consumed. Part of the animal would be eaten by the one who brought it and his family and by the priests. There was a participation involved in the sacrifice. Do you see that? And I think what Paul's writing about, what Paul's saying is that when we properly understand and properly focus our minds in remembrance and by faith accept and, and live in the truth that we're, that we're taking in the body and the blood of Christ that was spilled by us, we are participating in the sacrifice of Christ spiritually. So there should be a richness and there should be a depth 
Okay, we talk about, we talk about you know, the best meal we've ever had, location's important, the company's important, the occasion's important. Here's the occasion. We are partaking in what Christ has done for us. Let me, <clears throat> let me end again here with the seriousness that the Lord's Supper has. There is a, a joyfulness to it that Christ has saved us, but there should also be a focus. We should be very careful about too quickly, too flippantly. I mean, this is why churches also debate, you know, how often should we take the Lord's Supper? I did a church plant before I came here, and we took the Lord's Supper every week. And it was different. It was a smaller group. We did different things with it. But one of our big concerns was we, we feel like we should do this every week, but we want to be very careful that it doesn't become so common that it loses its importance. We have been too lax here. And so it's something that we're going to be more, uh, we're, we're going to do it quarterly as, as, as we should be. Because either way is wrong. You do it too little and it just, it's not an important deal for your church. You do it too much and don't give it the right attention and it can become to where it's just routine so we want to take the time that there is a seriousness involved. There's a, a weightiness, if you would, that we understand what is happening as we take the Lord's Supper, what it is that is happening. Let me just read these verses for you and, and, and just listen. Whoever, therefore, this is 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, that would be an unbeliever, someone not trusting in what they're doing, going through the actions, somebody not, you know, really participating, not taking it serious, will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. That's a powerful statement right there, isn't it? Profaning the body of the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and this isn't to say, am I good enough? The examination as we pass out the elements and you take it, and for the moment that you're there with it, it's supposed to be a time of examination. Lord, do I trust in you? Do I believe that which I'm about to, to do? Do I, do I believe that this is your body? Can I say that? Have, have I trusted in you? Do I have sins that I need to, be, that I need to for, ask for forgiveness for? Is my life in a way where I can, I can do this without profaning the gospel. Let a person examine himself and eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, somebody who does it in such a, a flippant way, doesn't matter. It's like the way you're going to eat lunch later. There's nothing special about it. Eats and drinks judgment on himself. And here's what that means. What does it mean to eat and drink judgment on himself? That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. The first Corinthian church was making such a mockery of the gospel by the way that they participated in the Lord's Supper that God was disciplining them physically. Wow. Some are ill, some have died. Now, they're not going to hell. This, isn't, this, is, this, is a, this is a discipline. We'll see this in the next verse. 
But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So in other words, take it serious. Participate in a way that's serious. And God doesn't have to discipline you. I'll do that. (laughs) But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The gospel is important. Let us not forget that. The proclamation, the truthfulness, the accuracy, how we believe it, how we proclaim it, how we take it is incredibly important. Friends, I hope you see this as a special gift that we get to participate and spiritually, in a way, be there with with Christ dying for us. We have a, a wonderful setting. We have a wonderful family gathered. And we have a wonderful occasion for this meal. We're going to move to taking the Lord's Supper here in a moment. And as we do, I want to invite you to be a part. I want to invite you to be a part. And, and I want to do that in two ways. One, our church, the way that we participate in the Lord's Supper, is that it is available to all who believe and confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. All who confess and believe Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, have you done that? That's the question. All that we've talked about, all that, that's happening, all that the, the, the bread and the cup that they represent, do you believe in that? Do you truly believe? Are you able to say, I without a doubt trust in Christ as my Savior? If not, let the cup pass. If you say, well, I'm bitter right now. I don't want... If you're not in a place where you think you can take it, let the cup pass. Let the bread pass. I would much rather you sit one out, focus on your, 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 your spiritual condition than to eat and drink condemnation on yourself. But even if you're not a member of our church... If you are a member of the church and truly believe in the gospel, I want to invite you to come to the table with my family to eat and drink in celebration of what the Lord has done for us.